Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Edwina Lowe, Product Specialist within the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eloise Goulder, Head of the wider Data Assets and Alpha Group, to dive into our global Signal from the Noise framework. So, Eloise, thank you so much for being here once again. Thanks so much, Edwina. I'm glad to be here. Since we sat down last week to discuss markets and the short squeeze we've seen this year, we've had a number of incoming questions about our signals toolkit and the methodology behind it. So, Eloise, could you start by setting the scene and providing a backdrop to the framework as a whole? Yes, of course. So, the problem statement we faced was you have access to so much data across macro fundamentals, across micro fundamentals, cross-asset moves, positioning, sentiment, technicals, etc. So can you tell us what that data means for markets? And what can you infer from that data historically to help have a better understanding of current and future market conditions? And can you put a framework together to contextualise this and to provide a steer on markets? And if so, this could be a really powerful toolkit for both alpha generation and risk management purposes. So that's what we set out to do. Okay, great. Well, I know this was a major endeavour. Could you talk through the building blocks of the process in terms of how you put this together? Yes, well, I agree. It was a major endeavour. And it's worth remembering that when we started out, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that we would end up with a framework that yielded helpful results on an ongoing basis. But back to your question about the process, we took all the data sets we had access to with more than 10 years of history. Much of it was publicly available data. So as a starting point, we backtested all those data sets as signals for US equity markets, testing them as signals on both a mean reversion and a momentum basis. So for example, when the US ISM manufacturing data improves, what does that typically mean for US equity markets over the next period? or when hedge fund beaters or hedge fund exposures to US equities pick up over a one-month period, what does that typically mean for US equity markets? And so on. We then filtered the data sets to determine which ones had predictive power. And as a rough guide, we were looking for sharp ratios for each data set individually to be above one times. And so once filtered, we ended up with this huge grid showing around 50 metrics with meaningful predictive power for US equities. And we then had this challenge of categorising those data sets into groups which would be intuitive for us and for our clients to understand. So first of all, very broadly, we categorised the signals into what we call fundamental signals and positioning signals. Great. Could we start with the fundamental signals? So the fundamental signals were pretty straightforward to describe and to explain. 
There are essentially five different components, and U.S. equities, we found, have historically rallied when the bulk of those fundamental components have been supportive. So those include macro data improving, micro data or earnings data improving, and when the cross-asset dynamics have been supportive, so when bond yields have been rising, or when commodity prices have been rising, or when the dollar has been weakening. So that's really how we put the fundamental signals together. That's really interesting. And could we now turn to the positioning signals? Yes. So with the positioning signals, we ended up with over 30 individual signals which had historically demonstrated predictive power. So the challenge was much greater with these to categorise them in a meaningful and intuitive way. So what we did was we categorised those signals into further subgroups to help explain the context. So within the positioning bucket, we have one group of supportive positioning signals when positioning is just very light. And then we have another group of supportive positioning signals when volatility is falling. And then, for example, we have another group of supportive positioning signals when we see momentum in flows or persistent net buying and so on. So how do you bring those two elements together, the fundamental and the positioning signals? Yes. So then we took a step back and we looked at which combination of these signals have historically yielded the best overall conditions for US equity markets. And the first thing to note is that we haven't historically needed both the fundamental and the positioning signals to be triggered or supportive in aggregate in order to be bullish. In fact, very rarely have they both been triggered at the same time. So we concluded that you either need the positioning or the fundamental signals to be supportive to then be bullish US equity markets. But then the second thing we found is that conditions have historically been most powerful for US equity markets to rally when it's the positioning signals. A large proportion of those positioning signals have been triggered. Historically, in the US, we've seen the S&P 500 deliver a sharp ratio of over three times when this has been the case. Although, note, this has only happened historically about 12% of the time. But then we found that conditions are historically pretty powerful, although less so than for the positioning signals, when a large proportion of the fundamental components have been triggered. And historically in the US, we've seen the S&P 500 deliver a sharp ratio of over one times when this has been the case. And this has happened slightly more often, about 24% of the time historically, including actually the post-COVID market rally that we saw from uh, mid-2020 to late 2021. So we ended up with this risk-reward for US markets. It updates daily, it's driven by a whole host of data sets, and the average holding period of the combined signals toolkit is around five to 10 trading days. So this is a very tactical toolkit. And how do you go about explaining these conclusions to our client base? So now that we've developed this toolkit, we found that many of our more quantitative clients want to ingest this data systematically via API. And on that basis, we've created a data set which shows the signal for each of the fundamental and the positioning subgroups in addition to the aggregate message for US markets. 
And I'd say this is one of the main ways that our clients ingest the output. But then for the more fundamentally driven clients, or perhaps those clients who haven't yet set up to systematically ingest this particular data set, we've also created automated emails with, I think, pretty impactful charts showing how these signals evolve each day. So they show the current signal for the market and what the signal has been historically layered against the performance of the market and also all the subcomponents of the signal. So you can really understand what the message is and why. And that context on the why is really important, isn't it? Yes, exactly. In fact, I think one of the key differentiators of this framework is the fact that we have not only developed this quantitative data-driven framework for assessing market conditions based on a huge amount of data and a huge amount of work and with predictive power, but also that this framework helps understand why we take that given view. So, for example, in the period post-COVID from July 2020 through to Q3 2021, our signals were bullish on US markets. But as I alluded to earlier, this was nothing to do with the positioning or the technicals. And it was all because of our fundamental signals. Because back then we had improving macro data and improving micro data as we came out of COVID lockdowns. And we also saw rising commodity prices and widening bond yields. And that provided a really helpful context for our bullish framework. Doesn't it also play to our desire to eliminate biases? Yes, great point. By being data-driven, our framework also plays to trying to take out our own behavioural biases and resting on a data-driven framework instead. For example, right now, it would be very tempting to chase this market rally. And perhaps that is the right thing to do because our framework isn't always right. But it's so helpful to know that based on our framework and historical backtest work, we don't yet have the fundamental or the positioning backdrop to support chasing the rally at this current stage. And can I pick up on a point you've just made there? You talked about the framework not always being right. Could you elaborate a bit further, please? Yes. So, of course, the framework isn't perfect and it won't time every turning point in markets. Our backtests suggest the historical hit rates of the signals are in the 70% range. To be precise, 73% for the positioning signals and 64% for the fundamental signals. So by implication, they'll get it wrong 27% and 36% of the time. But if history is a guide, and of course that's a big assumption in itself, then the framework will be right more often than it is wrong. And it has proved to be very valuable in timing market moves since we first launched back in early 2021. That's really helpful. Thank you, Eloise. Could I also ask about the use cases for the toolkit? Yes. So I mentioned earlier that our hope was that the toolkit would be useful for both alpha generation and risk management purposes. And I think it's fair to say that it's achieved those aims. So from an alpha generation perspective, this is pretty self-explanatory, but The toolkit can be used from a regional equity allocation perspective on a very tactical basis, as I said earlier, five to 10 trading days to understand where risk reward currently looks most attractive. 
For example, last year, the toolkit was relatively more cautious US and China markets versus relatively more bullish Europe and Japanese markets, which broadly speaking played out with European and Japanese equities relatively outperforming. But we also find the toolkit is helpful from a risk management perspective in that it helps sanity check or challenge existing assumptions. So if investors are currently overweight Europe, but the framework has become incrementally less constructive Europe, as has happened recently, then the investor can use the toolkit to challenge or ask the right questions about why they have that particular stance. We find the toolkit really useful internally for all these reasons in helping frame the debate on a very tactical basis and in understanding why we have a given view using a data-driven and relatively unbiased approach. So the Signal from the Noise Toolkit was launched in the first half of 2021, so nearly two years ago now. Have you made any enhancements or changes to it since then? Yes. Well, we've really tried to respond to client demand. And as a result, we've made two major enhancements, I'd say, to the toolkit since launch. The first one was to roll out the signals, but on a single stock basis. And The second one, I'd say, has been to roll out those signals globally to global indices. But just turning to single stocks, we had this market timing toolkit to time turning points at the index level, so the S&P 500 for the US. But the question we were getting from clients was, could we use that same framework or a similar framework to time individual stock moves? And so we did that. We did a huge amount of work to extend the framework to see historically, at a given point in time, which single stocks would typically outperform when certain conditions were met. And now we offer that, this list of single stocks, which based on history, we think are most likely to outperform in the current market conditions. You've touched on the global conclusions of the framework there, and we've only recently rolled the signal out globally. Can you explain why we've done that? Yes. So we originally focused our analysis on US markets, as I said, US data and implications for the S&P 500, which was largely because this was such a massive endeavour and we had to start somewhere. But once launched, we've had significant demand from investors to roll this out globally, which I think absolutely makes sense. If the framework has predicted power for US markets, then might it have predicted power for other markets too? And in reality, this did take a lot of effort because we had to create a new set of metrics to backtest, many of which were region specific. So looking at local PMIs and local currency moves, for example. And we then backtested all of those metrics on global markets, specifically looking at the Stock 600 for Europe, the CSI 300 for China and the Nikkei for Japan. And we filtered the data sets to determine which ones had predictive power in each given market, again, looking for sharp ratios above about one times for each data set. And so we ended up with that huge grid again, but now for each of the European, Chinese and Japanese equity markets. 
We then categorize those data sets into groups, which would be intuitive to understand. Again, grouping into what we call fundamental signals and positioning signals in each region. But bearing in mind that the subcomponents within those broader categories might differ by region. In reality, some metrics with predictive power have been similar across all regions, while others have been quite different, which itself, I think, is quite fascinating. So, for example, we find the fundamental drivers have been pretty consistent across all regions. All those markets have benefited from better macro and micro momentum, from weaker currencies and from rising commodities. But by contrast, we found that the positioning and the technical signals have differed by region, albeit all regions have benefited from following some combination of momentum and mean reversion in positioning and flows and market performance. So when we put it all together, we now have data feeds and daily automated emails for each region for the US, Europe, China and Japan. And for each region, we historically see similar sharp ratios when the signals are triggered. But regions often trigger at different times, and that can be incredibly helpful and powerful information. Thank you, Eloise. That's been a really helpful overview of the toolkit, the methodology behind it and its use cases. Thanks so much, Edwina. It's been great to discuss the toolkit in more detail here today. As a reminder to our listeners, we provide daily updates to our signals via daily automated email, as well as API via Fusion or Data Query. Please do reach out if you'd be interested in documentation or a teach-in via the Contact Us form on our website. Thank you once again to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you also to those of you who have reached out to our team to discuss markets further or give us feedback. We really do appreciate it. As a reminder, if you'd like to explore our wider team content further or to get in touch, please take a look at our website, jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we will close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow J.P. Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.